Eddie Mayer on LBC. It's Friday. It's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marks's American Week. Eddie, Joe Biden wants you to know, all appearances to the contrary notwithstanding, that liberal democracy has still got it going on. I know the Mother of Parliaments over there in London has been convulsed with questions this week about Christmas parties that may or may not have happened, about whether the country's leaders lie like a rug, about whether you can sing carols mask-free while you're buying your mince pies in Sainsbury's. But over here... This was the week when Joe Biden nailed his colors to democracy's mast. This is the defining challenge of our time. Democracy, government of the people, by the people, for the people, can at times be fragile but it also is inherently resilient. That was the president yesterday at his so-called Democracy Summit, a two-day affair, heaven help us, designed to rally the world's democracies to come together and oppose those nasty authoritarian regimes like Russia and China, both of them challenging the US for primacy on the world stage. At times, it sounded like a pretty dry high school civics lesson. Democracy's hard, we all know that. When people and parties that might have opposing views sit down and find ways to work together, things begin to work. But it's the best way to unleash human potential and defend human dignity and solve big problems. At other moments, the president urged people to keep faith in democracy's potential and not be scammed by Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping. They seek to advance their own power export and expand their influence around the world and justify the repressive policies and practices as a more efficient way to address today's challenges. That's how it's sold. By voices that seek to fan the flames of social division and political polarization. But what about the elephant in the room? American democracy itself is in deep trouble. It's been less than a year since the Capitol building came under assault by Donald Trump's conspiracy theory believing supporters trying to find Vice President Mike Pence in a bid to assassinate him. The country's electoral system is still coming under daily attack by the former president and his proxies. And as President Biden listed all the actions that he's taking to try and defend democracy right here in America, he conveyed to the rest of the world the scale of the trouble it's facing. We're making it easy for Americans to register to vote. And we've doubled the number of attorneys defending and enforcing voting rights laws through our Department of Justice. And my administration is going to keep fighting to pass two critical pieces of legislation that will shore up the very foundation of American democracy. The sacred right of every person to make their voice heard through free, fair and secure elections. To prevent voting discrimination, provide baselines for assessing the, accessing the ballot box and ensure the will of the voters is upheld. Simply amazing that any of that is even required. Russia predictably dismissed the democracy summit as pathetic. The Chinese said America is ungovernable. In an 11th hour blow to the summit's guest list, the government of Pakistan put its finger gingerly in the air to check which way the wind was blowing and pulled out for fear of offending Beijing. The Republican response to the summit came last night on Fox News from insurrectionist Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Well, what really stands out to me is that it was lo one long anti-American tirade by the President of the United States and various members of his administration. I mean, you listen to them, they don't like American voting laws, they don't like American history, they want to rewrite our culture and completely change it. I mean, this is a guy 
who doesn't really like America. Says a man who in January was quite literally trying to overturn the outcome of a Democratic election. So let's dig in and find out how American democracy fared this week in a bid to deliver for the people. After all, the president says that is the yardstick we must use to measure its success. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it through this. And uh, we're going to be okay, in my view. That was the president last night trying to reassure Americans that the Omicron variant of COVID-19 may not be as threatening to them as first feared. In a country that never really had a plan A to deal with COVID-19, there is no plan B. No new restrictions, no fresh advice on face masks ahead of the holiday season, although the president did promote booster shots. I say to all of you, got vaccinated six months ago, Get your booster right away. 50 million, 50 million people are now have gotten their booster shots. And uh, we're getting people their booster shots at a record pace, roughly a million people a day. And uh, America is making progress. 200 million with two shots and more kids vaccinated than any country on earth. Now, those numbers are all true, but they only tell one side of the story. This was the week when America finally limped past a milestone in its battle with the pandemic. 60% of eligible Americans are now fully vaccinated against COVID-19, but only by the old two-shot yardstick. It is the lowest level of vaccination in the G7, and it means that 40% of eligible Americans are not fully vaccinated nor even close to getting a booster. Now, there's no question things have turned around since this man ran the place. When you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. But in that specific area, testing, things have not appreciably changed. Lateral flow tests here are hard to find. They're expensive. And there's no kind of national program to get them into the hands of every American from coast to coast. At the White House on Monday, Press Secretary Jen Psaki was confronted by National Public Radio's Mara Lyerson, who wanted to know why the U.S. still lags behind so many of its allies in the testing stakes. There's still a lot of countries like Germany and the UK and South Korea that basically have massive testing free of charge or for a nominal fee. Why can't that be done in the United States? Well, I would say first, um, you know, we have uh, eight tests that have been approved by the FDA here. Uh, We see that as the gold standard. Uh, Whether or not all of those tests would meet that standard is a question for the scientists and medical experts, but I don't suspect they would. Now, let's just stop her there for a second. I have no idea what a gold standard COVID-19 test looks like. My most recent result here took five days to secure. I frankly might have settled for the silver standard test in order to put my anxieties to rest more rapidly. But even if by some mysterious process American tests are just better than the filthy foreign ones you're all using, none of that explains what happened next. Why not just make them free and give them out and have them available everywhere? Should we just send one to every American? Maybe. Then then what ha- then what happens if you if every American has one test? How much does that cost and then what happens after that? I All I know is that other countries seem to be making them available for in greater quantities for less money. Well, I think we share the same objective, which is to make them less expensive and more accessible, right?
Do we share the same objective? I'm not so sure. CVS, the nation's largest chain of chemists, disclosed this week that it earned $3 billion in revenue from COVID testing this year alone. $3 billion. That's a quarter of the annual GDP of the Bahamas, where perhaps CVS executives will be spending Christmas. They'll sell you a lateral flow test for $11.99, except they're warning customers they haven't got any. So make an appointment for an in-store COVID test and that will cost you or your health insurance company 139 bucks. It's a nice little earner and you can bet that lobbyists working for the retail industry are putting relentless pressure on the Biden administration not even to think about a national giveaway of lateral flow tests. So much for delivering for the people. President Biden was direct and straightforward with President Putin as he always is. He reiterated America's support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan talking to reporters about the big foreign policy development of the week. President Biden's virtual summit with the Russian leader took place on Tuesday. So how did democracy, in this case of a Ukrainian variety, and the president's quest to protect it fare during that conversation, given that seven years ago President Obama failed to protect Crimea from falling into Russian Clutches. I will look you in the eye and tell you, as President Biden looked President Putin in the eye and told him today, that things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now. Now, in terms of the specifics, we would prefer to communicate that directly to the Russians, to not negotiate in public, to not telegraph our punches. But within 24 hours, President Biden was telegraphing his punches, or to be more accurate, the punches that he's pulling. The meeting with Putin, I was very straightforward. There were no minced words. It was polite, but I made it very clear. If, in fact, he invades Ukraine, there will be severe consequences. Economic consequences like none he's ever seen or ever have been seen in terms of being imposed. But the idea the United States is going to unilaterally use force to confront Russia invading Ukraine is not on the, in the cards right now. But what will happen is there will be severe consequences that will have... Sir, you've known Vladimir Putin for years. Are you confident that he got the message and knows this is different? I am absolutely confident he got the message. So much for America's backing for democracy overseas. Ironclad, he's called his administration's commitment to Ukraine, at least until the moment that Russian tanks start rolling in. The president learnt this week that there are limits to his influence, even among allies. The Biden administration will not send any diplomatic or official representation to the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games, given the PRC's ongoing genocide and crimes against uh, humanity in Xinjiang. Jen Psaki making it official on Monday. There will be no U.S. government representation at the Beijing Winter Games. The U.K., Australia and Canada announced similar steps, but not the French. President Emmanuel Macron declared the move insignificant, which sounds like even more of a slap in Washington's face in the original French. While Joe Biden was battling to salvage democracy's reputation this week, there was a clarion warning of the dangers ahead. The Atlantic magazine published a 30-page essay entitled Trump's Next Coup Has Already Begun. January the 6th and the attack on the Capitol was just a rehearsal, warns author Barton Gelman, who has spent months talking to the former president's conspiracy theory-believing supporters and trying to understand them. I think you have people 
who are bound and determined not to allow uh, Republicans to lose another national election and, uh, and not to allow Trump to lose another election. They, they are characterizing the Democrats uh, as tyrants, as thieves of an election who actually uh, stole the presidency uh, as communists, as people who hate America. Uh, and they couldn't they couldn't discuss it uh, with any more extremity than they're doing. And when you do that, you give yourself permission to take all kinds of steps, including violent ones. He spoke there on MSNBC, arguing the country could be in a similar position to Northern Ireland in the late 1960s at the dawn of the Troubles, citing researchers who believe extremists are ready to engage in collective political violence to put Donald Trump back in the White House. The nation today is mourning a figure from a simpler time in American politics. Right now, President Biden is at Washington's National Cathedral, eulogizing former Republican presidential candidate Bob Dole, the senator from Kansas, who failed in his quest to deny Bill Clinton a second term in the Oval Office. The night he lost that election in November 1996, he made a remarkable concession speech. Listen closely, and in the crowd you can hear the first stirrings of the extremism now mainstreamed in Republican politics. I I was thinking on the way down the elevator, tomorrow will be the first time in my life I don't have anything to do. Let me say that I've I've talked to President Clinton. We had a good visit, and I congratulated him. And I've said, I've said repeatedly, wait. I've said repeatedly in this, I've said repeatedly in this campaign that the president is my opponent, not my enemy. And I wish him well, and I pledge my support. And whatever advances the cause of a better America, is that what the race was about in the first place? A better America as we go into the next century? Well, now we're into that next century, a fifth of the way through it, in fact. Joe Biden cites Bob Dole's commitment to deal-making, reaching out across the aisle, forging agreements, even with your most entrenched political opponents, as the kind of governance that only democracy can deliver. It is, however, perfectly possible that the country isn't just burying a wartime hero today, Eddie, but also the type of hard-fought consensus politics that he used to espouse. Simon Marks's American Week, back next Friday at a quarter to five. LBC, I'm Eddie Mayer.